Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. 630 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A. On Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. Brendan Escott and. Dayton Abbott are back at the 630 Chad Studios. Bob Stauffer and Jack Michaels at uh, the Chorus Studios in Vancouver. Special thanks to uh, Dave uh, Buckner and Mitch uh, Bunda for helping us out in Vancouver. This is the second hour of Oilers Now, and it is brought to you by Digitex. Buy or lease your next office network printer from Digitex.ca e-commerce store. No need to spend your valuable time meeting with door-to-door sales reps. Your all-in-one convenient location is Digitex.ca. All right, straight off to the River Cree Resort Casino hotline in this hour. Sam Constantino from Sportsnet. He's their uh, lead draft analyst. And a guy that Sam's going to be talking about going potentially number three. We're going to hear from Kirby Dock, Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta. Fort Saskatchewan, the home of Heartland Ford, who bring you our text line at 630-630. Sam, how are you? Doing great, Bob. Just going through some last-minute notes here, getting really fired up. Yeah, getting fired up. Look, everybody had a top two. Do we now have a top three? Well, that's uh, not what I had predicted, but it looks to be that Kirby Dock is the guy that uh, I think Chicago is leaning towards right now. I think the Blackhawks have done a good job throwing up a whole bunch of smoke screens when it comes to the big talk about Alex Turcotte. And yes, he's Chicago, so he'd be a guy there. Bowen Byron, well, you know what? We've taken three defensemen in the last two years in the first round, so maybe we don't necessarily need him. Then you look at uh, maybe someone like a Trevor Zegras who I had predicted, and he's probably a little bit further down the list, but it looks now that Chicago is settling in on, on Kirby Dock. So I think that's going to change the complexion of this whole first 10 quite a bit. If they sent up smoke screens on Turcotte, Sam, Jack Michaels with you, uh, uh, is it is it possible there's some philandering going on right now? I mean, is it is it possible they're sending out another signal and, and maybe looking to swing sort of a deal? Or, or do you feel like the draft, instead of beginning at number three, will officially begin at number four tonight? Yeah, Jack, you know what? I, I think it starts to move to four now. I'm pretty confident in some of the intel I've been able to gather here while on the ground. And as you guys know, some of the best work in this business isn't done in the nine to five hours. And I uh, experienced a, a few things there last night where you know, you're able to, to kind of pick and plot around a little bit and visit a couple of different social scenes. And, you know, I feel pretty confident about the intel I was able to gather. And, and I, now I do believe that it does uh, it does start at four. But I also feel pretty comfortably that Colorado will go the way of, of Bowen Byram, despite all the young defensemen that they, that they have. 
Yeah, uh, well, uh, you know, from my perspective, Sam, from the people, I mean, look, you you, you get to see all these guys. Uh, we're more reliant upon sort of secondhand uh, information, but there's a lot of guys out west that think that Bowen Byram's the most skilled offensive defenseman since Scott Niedermeyer. Do you think that's a fair comparable? I sure do. I mean, I look at the 26 goals. I look at the first time ever that a Western Hockey League defenseman led the playoffs in scoring yet his team didn't even win um, the Edgenhouse Cup. So uh, I like the fact, though, and I think the thing that's come to the fore a lot for me in my discussions about Bo and Byram is people really like the fact that he's got some bite. He's got a little bit of edge to him. And, yes, we can all look at the numbers and, you know, the nine-game winners, six of them in overtime, which is a WHL record for a defenseman, and think really heady about the numbers. But it's that little extra element of having bite, compete, and get really pissed off when someone tries to take advantage of you, your teammates or, or or the situation in terms of how you know how far a score might be in a particular game so that's probably the thing that's really pushed him over the edge and, and cemented him here in the top five over the last couple months when you've reviewed the prospects on that u.s program uh, th- there's been a couple things that have come up as as the draft has approached number one that too often alex turcott was not one of the two or three best players on the ice and number two at times it was hard to judge the players who were on the ice with jack hughes because when you carry it from end zone to end zone that's not necessarily hockey that's going to translate at the national hockey league level what were your impressions on the those two particular issues? Well, I think Turcotte gets a little bit of a hall pass. You know, he went through an injury plagued season, but when he's at his best, he plays that that all-around game. He, too, has got a little bite to him. He's got the NHL bloodline, so there's really a lot to like about this particular player. But you have to think about the situation in general. When I look at the U.S. program's team, Trevor Zegers, a great center. Turcotte, a great center. Hughes, a great center. Everyone forgets about John Beecher, but here's a guy who won a lot of important draws for them as well. The competition to play that spot when you were healthy was ratcheted up tenfold because of the talent around you. Then getting to your point about Hughes and his ability to lug the puck up the, puck up the ice, you know, I asked Cole Caulfield a little bit about that, and he said, listen, if it's Jack, if it's Trevor, if Jack's in the lineup or out of the lineup, which he was a couple of times due to injury issues himself, I know what I am. I'm a shooter. I need to find the soft spots and the, and the good ice in order to get my shot off. And from there, it doesn't matter if it's Nathan McKinnon, Trevor Zegers, Alex Turcotte, or Patrick Kane giving me the puck. I'm the guy who's going to do that. So it is interesting when you look at this group. And the one thing I'll say in general about the entire group, the best collection of individual players ever put together by the U.S. program, yet they didn't do a whole lot of winning championships. And that has brought some cause to concern for scouts as well. Justified or not? Well, I mean, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, you go to the Five Nations tournament in February where the competition is slightly lesser. Uh, I think it, that's the tournament you have to win. And you basically build your program for two years to go and play in the under-18 Worlds. And I know they ran into a finisai of a hot goalie who we'll be talking about in the first round next year. Uh, but for me, I don't know. I think at, at one point you have to come away with something. Now, you can't do much in the USHL because essentially – once the USHL playoffs start and get into round two, I think the under-17 comes in and that allows the under-18 team to move overseas and play in the under-18 world. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's a little bit of a concern for me. I mean, as tight as those guys are and they get along, it belies me to think that when you have a tight-knit group that's that talented, yet you, you still have issues winning, I don't know, there's something missing. There's a missing piece of the puzzle there for me. 
All right. Uh, well, Sam, let's take it a different direction because it affected a Western Hockey League player, we think, as well, and that's Dylan Cousins. Uh, Peyton Krebs' performance at the U18 helped him, whereas Dil- Dylan Cousins in the uh, medal round maybe didn't achieve what he was hoping to achieve. That said, do you think Cousins ends up being a top eight overall pick? And what about Krebs? Yeah, those are those are two really fascinating guys for me. So the, the body of work on Cousins has been uh, tainted, as you mentioned, Bob, be- because of some recency bias, and that being the under-18 medal round, that being the, the playoffs uh, in Lethbridge and, and losing out in round two. So there were some you know, concerns about that, especially after him having been on a team that went to the Eastern Conference Final in the WHL in each of the last two years with what many people say was a better team in Lethbridge this year, yet they still weren't able to get over the hump. So there is that concern. But the entire body of work, even when you go back to two years ago, when he came into the playoffs for Lethbridge as a 15-year-old, and he had eight points that year and just kind of burst onto the scene. And then you go through last year, just under a point per game, this year point per game. You know, there's a great body of work that doesn't just include what we've seen in the last month. And I think you really have to keep that in mind with Dylan Cousins. Having said that, Detroit at number six uh, is someone that I think, um, you know, that's looking at Dylan quite closely. As for Peyton Krebs, everyone knows about the injury. I don't think that has a significant impact. I still see him going top ten. A lot of that for me, Bob, has to do with the perseverance of all the things he faced with the Kootenai Ice this year and the fact that whenever he did get with his peer group at the Helenka Gretzky in the summer and at the 18's uh, Worlds where he had 10 points in War of the Sea tells me so much more about this player than the stuff that I already really liked from the regular season. Speaking of Linka Gretzky, that's where Philip Broberg first kind of came on the scene, and, and you know he he was fine at the end, but in between, Sam, he came under some criticism playing with men in, in the Swedish league. That's a guy that Bob and I have gone on record as thinking is very much in play for Edmonton with the eighth overall pick. What's your overall assessment when you look at the entire body of work, not just the individual tournaments, and not just his first full year of playing? against men yeah you you, you definitely have some concerns about what happened in the middle of the year but at the end of the day despite injury to timothy lilligren he did make sweden's world junior team that's a major accomplishment for a first year draft eligible guy he was sick for one game in that and brought that sickness home with him and i don't think he ever really found his stride because he bounced a couple of times back and forth to the men's league to the u20s i think he had trouble finding his stride i think what players do is that when they go and play against men at this age, they feel they have to play a more conservative game. And that when they get back to their peer group, they feel they have to be that super dynamic guy. So as a player, you're dealing with a bit of sickness and injury, and now you're dealing in your mind, hey, it's my draft year. When I'm with the younger guys, I better produce. When I'm not, then I better play a safe game. I think that can mess with you a little bit. But one thing that really sticks out is just how comfortable he was with his peer group in international play. And no doubt his performance at the under-18 Worlds really brought him back into prominence. Uh, a fascinating roller coaster ride for Brober. To your second point about Edmonton, you have to think about Kenny Holland. He likely would have Detroit's list. No one would ever uh, admit that, of course. Detroit is a team that's had a great amount of success with Hawk and Anderson, their head scout in Sweden. A ton of Sweden Swedish players have had success with Detroit. You bring that over now and add the intelligence to what Keith Gretzky and his staff had already done on the player, mind with what you likely have learned from your time in Detroit up until this point, and it really seems like a perfect fit for me. Yeah, uh, you know, the, I guess a wild card. Could you see Vancouver potentially trying to trade up to grab him? 
sure Duke, but to grab him necessarily, I, I I'm not sure about that. Um, you know, but I I have heard that they have they have made some calls to try and move up. I heard Buffalo is a team that might be interested in yeah. in flipping back. And so if you know, is it Edmonton and Buffalo? Are you moving one spot? Does it really have a significant impact uh, for what you're trying to accomplish? Not necessarily. Well, that's what I'd be curious about, Sam. I mean, in your opinion, moving back from 8 to 10 in this draft, does the quality really drop off? Because in my conversations with you, you seem pretty confident that between 5 and 12, you're going to end up with roughly the same impact type of player. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think a trade back to that area works. Now, depending on what what assets you're trying to gain, like if you're looking to add more in the second round, then you're probably going to have to slide back a bit further so that you still keep your first rounder, yet you add that second round, which a lot of people is, are thinking is really coveted here because once you get, in my opinion, to about 22, there's a wide range of players that might be as many as 35 feet that look very similar. And so by getting that second round asset, there are some people that think they're going to find guys that they would have had listed in the first round. So that scenario may present itself i don't think moving back for all the work that it would require two spots would be something that i'd be all that interested in um you know having said that this is your your first go around in a in a city that's starving for something really neat to happen maybe you're just best at at staying right where you are and, and moving forward from there all right, two more final Western Hockey Leaguers, and then we're going to bring Kirby Dock on board, uh, Sam. Uh, Matt Robertson, Matthew Robertson of the Edmonton Oil Kings, and Brett Leeson of the Prince Albert Raiders. Uh, both very different stories. Uh, Robertson, part of that, you, uh, you know, that Holika Gretzky team. Leeson with the World Junior Team. Where do you, are these guys going to end up being second rounders? Are they late first? Where do you think they end up going? I think both guys are late first-round picks. And I've done a lot of due diligence on, on Matthew Robertson because when I watch him, I have trouble identifying what he's going to be at the next level. Is he going to be a shutdown guy who's really physical? I don't think so. Is he going to be a high-end uh, offensive guy? I'm not sure he's that. One thing I am sure of is that he has size and he can skate well, and that's always going to play on the back end. But in terms of an identity crisis for this player, I still have a lot of struggles in trying to figure out exactly what he's going to project to be at the next level. I personally think it's probably a 4-5 or five guy. I don't know if I want to draft a defenseman whose ceiling I see as a 4-5 or five guy in the first round. Having said that, I've had a lot of conversations with people about Matthew Robertson, and most people seem to think in that 25 range is a place that fits him comfortably. When I look at Brett Leeson, I am biased. This is a player I have watched with my own eyes on about a dozen occasions this year. And every single time I've watched him, while he may not have had points, he's always in position to produce points. And it's not just his ozone play. It's his ability to block shots, backtrack, work really hard on the on the penalty kill, use that straight line skating, be able to dip that big body and take it to the front of the net. I saw a 6-1 game, a game one on April 5th against Saskatoon in round number two, without a doubt the most dominating single performance that I saw in any game by a junior player this year. He had two goals, two assists, and probably could add eight points in that game. That's the type of game. If he brings to the table, he may very well be a home run. All right, Sam. Uh, actually, uh, hey, we appreciate it. We're going to uh, uh, cut her uh, short, but we appreciate you joining us here on other side. We've got Kirby on the other line, so we want to get right to that. Uh, we'll see you down at the uh, on the floor, okay? You got her. Wish that young man my very best.
Thanks, right. Sam. We'll transition right to, thanks a lot, Sam. We'll transition right to uh, Fort Saskatchewan products, Saskatoon Blade, Kirby Doc. Kirby, it's uh, Bob and Jack from the Oilers uh, radio crew. How you doing? I'm good. Thank yeah, thanks for having me on the show today, guys. Uh, uh, so Sam says uh, it's, it's all a buzz. Uh, Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Uh, I know that you've interviewed uh, this week with all the teams that are three, four, and five. What's this experience overall been uh, like for you? And, and have you gotten any impression that maybe it is Chicago? Yeah, it's always been been a hectic week. I mean, I got here on Wednesday, and it's been been nonstop meetings with teams and and media requests and that sort of thing. So it's it's been a lot of fun. I'm just kind of sitting back and relaxing, you know, enjoying this day with my family and uh, just hanging out and uh, whatever is going to happen. That the draft is going to happen, and uh, I'm just thrilled to be a part of that organization. Are you able to be relaxed going into tonight? I mean, what, are, are there butterflies that are creeping in? Is it is it similar going into a big game? Can you can you try to articulate what you're going through in terms of not only you know knowing where you're going to land, but but knowing you're going to be up on stage in front of a national television audience and and thousands of people kind of watching you live out a lifelong dream? Yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a childhood dream, and obviously it's. It's getting a little bit more exciting every minute that it kind of goes by and you're starting to itch, itch towards and just kind of getting there and getting things started. But uh, obviously it, uh, the nerves was kind of starting to start with them sitting in my seat and starting to sweat a little bit and just feel just how anxious it is in that arena. I mean, uh, everybody's kind of on pins and needles and not knowing what's going to happen other than two guys. So uh, it'll be a fun night and it'll be interesting. Fort Saskatchewan product, Kirby Doc, Bob Stoffer, Jack Michaels with you in Oilers now. So, Kirby, uh, you went through a stretch where you played well but didn't, you know, put up a lot of points for about eight or nine games. Do you worry about stuff like that during the course of the year, or did your coaching staff, because they did a pretty good job, you guys had a brand-new staff. I've known Ryan Marsh for 25 years. Uh, did they kind of keep things even-keeled for you during that, that whole process? Yeah, they did. they did. They did an unbelievable job. I mean, as a guy playing in junior my job was kind of to produce and be a top end player so obviously when you hit that stretch it's disappointing and it, and it sucks because you you want to be that guy that, that's scoring every night but obviously Mitch and Ryan Keller and Ryan Marsh did an unbelievable job of, of keeping me grounded and, and keeping my head on straight and pushing me towards the right way I mean the way I kind of look at it is that uh, they helped me round out my 200 foot game and, and become more of a complete player and to, to be the player I want to be in the National Hockey League, that's, that's the guy I want to be. So it'll be a lot of fun in, in the near future, kind of getting to work with those guys this year and just how much they helped uh, develop me. Kirby, Kirby had a, a great Klinka Gretzky Cup, and I was just wondering, was that a bit of a springboard for you in terms of, of entering your third junior season? Because the numbers, at least, would suggest it was. I'm just curious, your success in that tournament, was it an extra shot of confidence that helped you get off to a good start this year? Yeah, it was huge. I mean, I was able to kind of hit hit the ground running in Saskatoon, and not too many guys get to play high-intensity games and, and important games in the middle of August to kind of ramp into your season. So and to kind of have that confidence coming in, uh, it was awesome. And it helped me out a, a ton, obviously. You, know, you guys kind of touched on how an unbelievable start to the season, and then I kind of dipped off there. But that was something that uh, was good for me to learn, just the, the curves of the game of hockey and that the highs are highs and the lows are lows. But you always kind of find that even-keel mentality. Obviously, you uh, you shot the puck more this year. You worked on the face-offs, but I want to talk about the playoff series against Prince Albert because for a couple of those games, and they had a good team. And Kirby, they had an experienced team. Their cycle was now 
your cycle in Saskatoon might be in a year from now, you know. Uh, yeah. But what did it, you know, how did it, how did it feel knowing because the fans were on you a bit in PA, uh, and you kind of gave it back to them after uh, just a, you know a great goal there. But what was it like to to match up against a team of that caliber? Because it was a really good experience, hockey club. Yeah, it's obviously pretty important for me, uh, especially this being my draft year, to kind of go against an older and experienced team and just the battle and compete level I kind of had to go through. And then I was able to go and watch St. Louis and Boston play in game four and kind of see what, what that level is like. And obviously that's the best of the best in the world and it kind of doesn't compare to juniors, but just the heaviness of the game and how hard every shift is. And you have to compete every second you're on the ice or you're going to lose those games. So. It taught me a lot as, as a person, as a player, that uh, you have to be willing to push through through injuries and, and mental uh, blocks. If you're not scoring, then you got to figure a way to, to help your team in other ways. But uh, it was a great series. I had a lot of fun playing in it. Yeah, I was just I was just curious, Kirby, on that subject. I mean, it's been a long road back to respectability and contention for the Saskatoon Blades. Did you feel like there was some meat left on the bone? Did you did you leave something out there? Is there unfinished business with the Blades? Yeah, yeah obviously. I mean, we were we we're pretty upset and, and choked that that we we lost to Prince Albert. I mean, uh, no matter where they're ranked in the CHL and how we felt, we were confident in our team that we were gonna. Uh, go far and, and make a championship run. So to kind of be be cut short there with Prince Albert, it's, uh, it sucks, but we're, we're going to have a good team next year and the next coming year. So, I mean, there, Saskatoon's in good hands. Well, you have a chance today to be the highest drafted player ever from Fort Saskatchewan. Uh, Jarfi Lupel went seventh at the 2002 draft. I was there in Toronto. Kirby, enjoy the day, and thank you for uh, taking a couple moments, and thank Colin Priestner as well for uh, helping set this up for us, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. All right, that is Kirby Dock uh, of the Saskatoon Blades. We'll take a quick one-and-a-half-minute break and then come back to Vancouver, and uh, Jack and me will wrap things up for now because we're going to rejoin you a little bit later. This is Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It's 128 in Edmonton, Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. 50 years Edmonton owned and operated. For menu and locations, visit royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. Royal Pizza, where the Stoffer recommendation is the Mediterranean chicken. Brendan Escott is going to guide you home. He'll have NHL Today for Elite Promotional Marketing and then uh, interviews with both Jim Playfair and uh, Dave Tippett that we did yesterday jack we didn't even talk to that just give me just to wrap up uh because we talked a lot about the draft 30 seconds on the hiring of jim playfair well obviously he's been dave tippett's chief lieutenant in uh in arizona he has ties to the oilers as you know a first round pick in 1982 and his one of his two nhl goals came on the same night that wayne gretzky scored eight points in a single game for the first time uh in a blowout of the new jersey devils he's a lifer uh he you know it's interesting he only got the one year as a head coach in the national hockey league and he had a very successful season and 96 points for the flames i think they've surpassed that like twice in the last decade so i mean he's a good coach he's won a calder cup uh he knows the american league inside and out he knows the national league inside and out i think bob it's a real plus and dave said i want some comfort on the bench i want a guy who i know deeply and personally well i mean he doesn't know anyone in this game better than jim Playfair. all right uh jack uh reed wilkins and myself will join you at 
4 o'clock Edmonton time, 3 o'clock time uh, from Rogers Arena. Uh, the next half hour of the show will be Brendan Escott. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Mitch and Dave here at uh, Chorus uh, for setting us up here over the course of the last three days. Off to a global news weather traffic update. Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.